It is five o five o'clock. Five of the clock. So it must be the Richie Allen show. Indeed it is. Live from Salford. First programme of the week. Hope you are well. Hope you've had a good weekend. Thanks for joining me. Let's just do it then. Uncensored. Unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Now, it's a BBG with a terrible sore throat and a rapidly disintegrating voice. Fear not, I'll be with you for most of the duration, but the old voice is in a bad way. It's going to get worse as I go on. But sure, look, shite happens, and then you improvise, adapt, and overcome. It's me with you and me exclusively. That's unusual for a Monday, I do know, but it's worked out like that. In fact, today of all days, I could do with some guests to give me a bit of a break, but it hasn't worked out like that. I'm looking forward to chatting with you over the next 90 minutes to two hours. That's the promise. You can chat back. You can talk to me or you can talk at me via the website richieallen.co.uk You know how to do it. Comment live, leave me a comment and I will read them out as we go along. I'll be talking about three or four or five things, a couple or three things I'll be talking about. But if you'd like to introduce something new to the conversation or just mention something that I haven't mentioned, do so via the website. Nice, relaxing weekend it was for myself. Spent most of it listening to vinyl records. Yes, new artists and artists and, and whatnot. So nice and relaxing. But yeah, woke up today not feeling bad. I never feel bad when it comes to the throat, but I have a rotten red raw throat. You know, one of those. And sadly, in this profession, it means inevitably the loss of speech, at least for a little bit. But uh, I'm, I'm going to play one anyway. I need no, I don't want any credit for that. It's what you do, you just play one. Anywho, it's an occupational hazard, as I've said before. It's uh, already the 14th of March, and the clocks stateside went forward, didn't they? Already much brighter here in the mornings, I've noticed, out with the canines. Our clocks change on March 27th. They go forward on March 27th, so a fortnight from now. There will be the inevitable arguments that we should put it forward to daylight savings time or to British summer time and that we should leave it, dear listener. That we should just leave it forever. Leave it alone. Every feckin' year we hear the same discussions on the telly and the radio. And it brings me back to my early days in radio. You knew what you'd be talking about in advance. And that eventually drove me to tears and to boredom, you know, in mainstream media. Like in August, you knew that you'd have mums ringing in about the price of school uniforms and school books, you know. Around about April time, Easter eggs would be on the agenda. And, well, what the feck have Easter eggs got to do with the resurrection of our Lord? We're getting further and further away from Christianity. I used to get bored producing talk radio, anyway. I don't know if you're a Twitter user. I'm not a Twitter user. There's an account. And it's, as I probably have, speaking of boring you, I have mentioned to you before, 
I just have a little basic account so that I can reach the unreachable sometimes. I don't tweet and it doesn't have any followers, but it's there for me to do that. So I do observe what's going on. Fine is not fine has been trending on Twitter. Fine is not fine. Do you have any idea what that is about? No, it's got nothing to do with financial penalties. No, fine is not fine. Promoted by Walker's Crisps to get the nation to say how it is that the nation, to get individuals to say how it is that they're really feeling. And you're being encouraged again, not you, because you're not so gullible, but people are being encouraged again to not to take somebody's answer as the truth. How are you getting on there, Marty? I'm fine. You're not. Tell me how you're really feeling. That's basically the gist of it anyway. You know, tell me how you're feeling. I'm grand. We say that in Ireland, much to the amusement of people overseas. I'm grand. You're not. This is proper gaslighting, isn't it? Aren't you sick to death of articles, interviews, features on telly with people talking about how depressed they were and are and their mental health struggles. Aren't you sick of it? Of course it's an agenda. I know that, you know that. It's dreadful. And they're imposing this on children in primary schools and elsewhere. This idea that it's okay to have mental health struggles. It's okay to talk about it. There's something wrong with you if you don't talk about it. And all of that. That's a multifaceted attack, isn't it? Multi-pronged attack on the psyche of particularly young men. This idea of toxic masculinity. It's toxic not to admit that you have mental health struggles. Dreadful. This I find this dreadful. I find it boring. Repetitious. When I read these articles in the broadsheets, which I read all the time, interviews with some Z-list dickhead or other talking about how they're struggling with their mental health. And of course you have the royal arseholes involved heavily in this, don't you? William and his wife and, and the other two in America. Anyway, I don't know if you saw this, but Elon Musk wants to fight Vladimir Putin. That's Elon Musk of Tesla fame. Wants to fight the president of the Russian Federation, Mr. Vladimir Putin. What kind of fuckery are you? Don't know. Don't know what's going on with this. Logan Paul came to mind. Or is it Jake Paul? My mate Tez would know this. Who started the celebrity boxing? No, I know they didn't start the celebrity boxing, but they've made it very popular. Which of them? Is it Logan Paul or Jake Paul? You see what they've started now. But uh, Elon Musk wants to fight Vladimir Putin and he wants to fight him for Ukraine. Let's have a fist fight for Ukraine, says Musk. He tweeted this, inevitably, which is ironic, because Russia has banned Twitter. <laughs> and before that, much of Russia was banned by Twitter. Anyway, Russia eventually responded with a one-word answer for, for Musk, and the answer was weakling. Weakling. What's going on there? Have you any idea? As to what's going on with that, Musk said he's serious. It's no joke. He'd take him on 
Putin, who's a ten nine dan black belt in Taekwondo, and he's a black belt in judo, and he's a former KGB agent, which means he probably knows five or six hundred ways to kill a man with his bare hands. So why would you want to be well, of course, the only reason you would do it is because you know full well it's never going to happen. Here's LBC Radio's James O'Brien with his take on the Putin Musk possible throwdown in some ring somewhere in the future. Elon Musk has seemingly challenged Vladimir Putin to a fight for Ukraine. I hereby challenge Vladimir Putin to single combat, he tweeted, using the Russian alphabet to write Mr Putin's name, Stakes are Ukraine. He continued, writing the country's name in its own language. So Elon Musk, the Tesla fella, has challenged Vladimir Putin to a fight over the fate of Ukraine. And do you know what? I, I wonder, actually, whether, I mean, whether or not Putin's ego, which is clearly one of those tissue-thin, like almost all bullies in the history of the world, they are absolutely terrified of challenge, uh, run squealing and mewling for cover, get behind their mum's aprons at the first sight. I wonder whether his ego, his vanity, because Musk is a big enough name, right, to uh, to draw his attention. That I mean, that is probably going to make its way across Putin's desk at some point, and he's impugning your masculinity, Vlad. He's impugning your masculinity. He's calling you a big girl's blouse, mate. Um, I don't know, but goodness me, what a strange, strange time this is. Strange time. You heard that bit about ego in there, did you? Like almost all bullies in the history of the world, they are absolutely terrified of challenge. They run squealing and mewling for cover. Yeah, no sense of irony, James O'Brien. No sense of irony, all irony gone. The understanding of the term irony disappeared, gone from O'Brien's mind. This is the guy, James O'Brien, to be fair to him, not uh, unique to him, who spent most of the last two years bullying people and putting down any challenge to the COVID narrative, to the vaccine narrative and to the mask mandate narrative. Spent two years belittling people, bullying people, kicking them off the radio. Uh, fairly fond of himself as James O'Brien. I thought that was a bit ironic. Like the idea, though. Putin. It's Putin, not Putin. It's Putin. Like the idea of getting them all in the ring. Love to see it here. Love to see it here. Political opposites getting in the ring. Forget about... Uh, for, for, forget about... No, 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 no. With a nod to equality as well. Get them all in the ring. Michael Gove versus Angela Rayner in the ring. Imagine that. But who would you shout for? You see, that's a tough one. It's a tough one. Although when women play men at darts, which is happening more and more often, I do want the women to win. I'm not saying that to curry favour with the ladies I'm not, but I do love a bit of Fallon Sherrock, me. Love a bit of Fallon. Gorgeous is Fallon, isn't she? With her lovely pink T-shirt. Um, Angela Rayner, Gove, yeah, Gove Rayner. Mm. Matt Hancock versus Jess Phillips. There's one for you. Who do you pick in that one? Hard to cheer either of them. Yes. Um, the BBC is running a piece on its website today about how to spot Ukraine fakes. I kid you not. It's almost like a tutorial on bbc.co.uk for its readers to understand how to recognise when a video or an image emanating from Ukraine is real or it's propaganda. I'm going to pause while you fall around the floor laughing your backsides off. 
the BBC and Mariana Spring, uh, the BBC's famed and intrepid disinformation reporter. She wrote this today, did Mariana Spring. Since the war began, my inbox has been flooded with messages from people telling me about misleading videos on their social media feeds and troll accounts promoting conspiracy theories. And it's not just on social media, continues Mariana. She says it's also state-sponsored propaganda, pushing false claims on air and beyond. In a new podcast series, I'll be reporting on the information battle being waged over Ukraine and hearing from the ordinary people sucked into it. How can you spot bad information and stop its spread? And she goes on, does Mariana Spring, the disinformation reporter, to list some do's and some don'ts for readers in helping them to understand the fake from the real. Now, if I had a hair on my baldy head, it's reading this stuff, it's when reading this stuff that I would pull out whatever hair I had left on my head. We are only three years since the BBC was caught with its trousers and its underpants down around its ankles, staging the aftermath of fake chemical attacks in Syria. And I'm not over-egging this. It's only been three years. And during the, the, the whole protracted Syria crisis, of course, which is a Western manufactured crisis, as we know, and the BBC did this several times. In fact, one of its producers blew the whistle on the BBC reporting on a chemical weapons attack and then neatly arranging props and filming actors to fake an aftermath. Amazingly enough, only last year, the BBC had to apologise to Peter Hitchens of the Daily Mail because he called him out for reporting fake news out of Syria. So how Mariana Spring has the ovaries, let alone the balls, to go on the BBC website and to say to people, hey, listen, would you like some tips on recognising fake videos coming out of Syria? Not from you, wench! Anyone but you, love! Oh. Mm, Jackie Gleason, Jackie Gleason. So BBC Sky, all the papers over the weekend today, reporting as fact. Reporting as fact, without offering too much evidence that, among other things, Russia is bombing hospitals, Russia is targeting children, it's targeting children, it's bombing schools, Russia is opening humanitarian corridors to allow beleaguered and terrified people flee, but then bombing them as they flee. Russia has used white phosphorus, Russia will use chemical weapons, Vladimir Putin is a steroid-abusing junkie, or he's a steroid-abusing junkie because he has cancer. He's a nutter. He might fire nuclear weapons. He might stage false flag attacks to justify invading his neighbours. All of this is being said and more. Constantly wild speculation by presenters, not just guests, but presenters, uh, all day and all night, as the great Ray Davies once sang. 
All day, all night. Relentless. Absolutely relentless. He's used white phosphorus. No evidence. He will use chemical weapons. No evidence. Um, Putin is a steroid abuser. No evidence. Just say he might be. I'm not saying he isn't. I don't know. Russia is bombing hospitals. Again, no evidence. Well, anecdotal evidence, shall we say. He's targeting children. No evidence. He's an utter. No evidence. And he might use nukes. No evidence. All of this constantly, constantly, constantly. Now, Nicky Campbell does a mid-morning phone-in for BBC Radio 5 Live. This morning, he had Kerry Allen on, no relation whatsoever. Kerry is a woman, she's the BBC's Chinese media analyst. Again, this is positively an inversion. She gets paid by the fake news BBC to analyse the Chinese media and call it out for fake news. File it under, you just couldn't make it up. Now, now Kerry has been very surprised at the way Chinese television, radio and newspapers are covering Ukraine, as she tells her pal Nikki Campbell. The thing that's absolutely fascinating is opening Chinese newspapers, watching Chinese TV today, and it's barely being covered at all. There's, there's very sparing mention of the crisis that's ha- happening in Ukraine. It has been being covered in the last two to three weeks. There has been prominent coverage, but it's largely focused on the talks that have taken place in Belarus. There hasn't been so much emphasis, media coverage, on the devastation that's taken place in Ukraine. Ah, there hasn't been much media emphasis in China on the devastation. Now, I don't know how long Kerry Allen has been a journalist. I don't know what her qualifications are. But it's not, up, it's, it's not for reporters to be impressing upon people at home. It's not for reporters to to attempt to elicit an emotion from people at home, an emotional response. It's for reporters to say what happened, not to emphasise devastation. It's a reporter's job, let's pretend it's all true, right? It's a reporter's job to say there are reports that the Russian military bombed a hospital this morning in South Kiev or in South Mariupol or or whatever. The Ukrainian authorities or the local health authorities say that so many people were killed and so many people were injured. Russia has denied the attack and says blah, blah, blah. That's pretty much your job. Not to make a... to make a judgment call on what's right and what's wrong. So it's interesting, she's calling out the Chinese for just basically reporting, you know, the bare facts as the media in China understands the bare facts, but criticising them for not basically, well, editorialising is the term, isn't it? It's all about reading the runes, isn't it? Looking at... Uh, it's all about reading the runes, says Nicky Campbell. No, it's just about reporting what you see with your own eyes, what the Ukrainians say about it, and what the Russians say in response. That is your job. You have no other job. Full stop. It couldn't be simpler. Reading the runes, isn't it? Looking at uh, the wheels within wheels when you're looking at the Chinese media. Do you think there's any sense at all of a shift from this great and enduring friendship with Russia to a kind of 
when actually we don't like what's going on here. This is rather too disruptive. I think very much the case, yeah. I mean, today the um, foreign ministry spokesman said that China sees the most urgent task right now as exercising restraint and de-escalating the tense situation. But there's been this avoidance of mentioning Russia and mentioning Putin. And we have to remember that before all this started, President Putin and President Xi Jinping met in Beijing for the Olympics and there was a red carpet rollout. The two are very, very close. Uh, Russian media has a long-term presence in China and that there is this relationship that goes back decades that's very, very strong. Propaganda morning, noon and night on the BBC. The time is 20 minutes past five. When I come back, we'll be talking about refugees and the wonderful opportunity being afforded to the citizens of the UK by the British government. Take in a refugee from Ukraine and be rewarded with £350 a month. Yes. Sammy Davis Jr., Candyman on the Richie Allen Show, 23 minutes past five. Live from BBG Towers in Salford. Lovely to be with you this Monday, the 14th of March, in the year of Arnold, 2022. Chris says the Taliban, the Taliban can, because they mixes it with love and make the world taste good. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for your messages. They are pouring in. Your comments, I should say. Keep them coming in, richieallen.co.uk. Abdel says, any more of this shit and even the Palestinian Authority will be sending aid to Ukraine. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. David says, Richie, me and my mum, Elaine, we were just wondering if we take in a Ukrainian refugee or refugees, could the said refugee claim squatter's rights after six months and refuse to leave, or even worse, lock the fecking door and not let us in. So then we would be the homeless ones, asks David. I don't know, David. It's an interesting scenario. I did read this afternoon that squatters have taken over the home of an oligarch in London, a Russian oligarch whose name escapes me. The house valued at £25 million. Police stormed the, the house apparently, and then seem to back off. The squatters are there. They have signs, including signs which which, ha- which have messages, very rude messages for the Russian president, Vladimir Putin. Darren says, I'd love to see Trump put Biden on his arse. Mm, I'm not sure I'd like to see that, but, but anyway. Thanks, mate. Brambo says, there is an epidemic of emotional incontinence afflicting us. Reticence, diffidence and self-control used to characterise the British male psychology. But now these qualities are seen as being dangerous. I blame Freud, he says, and his perverse ideas about the nature of repressed emotions. If you don't express them, then they cause trouble. In reality, we grown-ups deal with such difficult stuff as a matter of course, for the most part, without requiring help from the army of therapists out there. Now, Bravo, that's a very interesting, thought-provoking comment, and I understand it. And to a certain, up to a certain point, I, I, I kind of agree with it. But I also believe that when people have suffered trauma, when, when bad things have happened to people, particularly when they were young and didn't understand those things, Uh, There is a place for therapy with the right therapist, but not a therapist who leads you down a path and it could be argued 
that therapists shouldn't lead people anywhere. A therapist should provide a space for an open conversation where everything is said and the space be created for the patient to to come to terms themselves with what happened to them and ultimately why it happened to them and maybe there wasn't anything they could do about it. I'm very interested in this. You will have seen the the Matt Damon film with Robin Williams, which um why do I why does the mind go blank? You know the one I'm talking about. There's the one where Matt Damon plays a troubled young genius in Southie, Boston, and he gets into trouble and he's going to end up in prison. But because he's a mathematical genius, he's given one last chance, providing he goes to therapy. And he does go to therapy with uh, Robin Williams, who is outstanding in the film. But there's a lot of truth in this, this notion that the, the therapy was there. Matt Damon's character came to understand that he wasn't responsible for the bad things that happened to him and couldn't have done, very importantly, couldn't have done anything to stop it. He was a child. And he wasn't big and strong. And his father battered him from one end of the house to the next. And he eventually reaches the catharsis. He eventually comes to understand that it doesn't define him. He couldn't have done anything about it. And it wasn't his fault. There is a place for therapy. I went through that process myself in my teens. And there is a place for it. But I also understand your point that, yes, we do as men. We sh- we, we, it is a masculine thing. And it isn't toxic and it isn't necessarily bad that we keep things to ourselves, certain things, and we work them out ourselves because of our maleness, our inherent maleness. You know, John Wayne, Gary Cooper, the character Tony Soprano. I know, I know, a psychotic killer. I know the character. But he did say once when he was talking about therapy, what happened to, you know, the old school man? who just got on with it. So I understand that. And I do understand your point, Brambo, that they're trying to eradicate this maleness from from young men, trying to knock out of them or browbeat out of them. Masculinity, effectively. You know, this idea that they can be male with millions of years of evolution. No, I don't mean Darwin's evolution now, but millions of years of experience, I should say. Millions of years of experience you know, of men, men passing on to men, things that men do that women wouldn't do, things that men say, ways that men might react to certain things, certain problems, certain issues that women wouldn't. The the things that make males males and females females, that's all being attacked right now. There's no doubt about that. In fact, we'll be talking about it pretty um, soon on this programme. It's 29 and a half minutes past the hour. It's uh, Richie Allen with you. Who else? From BBG Towers. Live on richieallen.co.uk. The TuneIn app, Fab Radio International in Manchester and multiple other platforms as well. I'm going to move on. Thanks for all your comments. Marvellous. Get a lot of advice, unsolicited advice on the website. And I joke about it. I tell you to keep it to yourself. But when I say that, I'm really joking. But, but know that I'm not going to read it. I'm just not. I'm perfectly, adequately equipped to deal with a sore throat. I'm a 47-year-old male. I've had experience as a broadcaster. I'll deal with it. So I'll tell you where you can go now with your colloidal silver. 
and all of that old jazz. I've opened up a can of worms there. I better say it just in case they melt down. I'm I'm not saying anything negative about colloidal silver. Okay? Okay, there you are. Do you want to take in a refugee? Do you want to be a good citizen? Do you want to be a humanitarian and take in a Ukrainian referee? Referee, you see. I, th- I think I'll just start again. Would you like to take in a refugee? If you do, the government says you will be rewarded with £350 a month. You what, gay? Yes, £350 a month. <laughs> that wouldn't cover a week. <clears throat> Excuse me. Of buying things and food and all the rest of it. Anyway, Sajid Javid, the health secretary, uh, went on every television programme this morning to announce the scheme. Now, before he got the chance to announce the scheme to our friend, well, my friend and your friend, the wonderful and beautiful Kay Burley. Fabulous. It's all good. (laughs) Yes, he was on Kay this morning. Before he told Kay about the scheme for the housing of the refugees, well, Kay took the opportunity to put some bad news to the health secretary. You might remember last week, there was a disputed bombing story. Ukraine said that Russia had bombed a maternity ward and a children's ward. And the media, the television media, showed footage of a pregnant woman being stretchered away from the rubble. Now Russia says, and I'm no fan of Russia, as you well know, or any country for that matter, Russia says, well, we told the United Nations a couple of days before shelling that area that the hospital was empty and that it was filled with basically local volunteers. Army. Local army volunteers. That's what Russia says. Am I backing the Russian account of what happened? No, of course I'm not. I don't know. But that's what Russia says. So the media last week showed a woman stretchered away, pregnant apparently, horrible, dreadful, emotional, blah, blah, blah. Well, Kay Burley had some news for Health Secretary Sajid Javid, here it is. Um, Health Secretary Sajid Javid is here. Um, Before we start proper, uh, Mr Javid, I just want to remind our viewers of these images that we saw towards the end of last week uh, when a hospital was hit. It was a a maternity hospital. This is what happened. Um, This was a lady that was being stretched out of that maternity hospital. I'm sure you'll remember the images. Um, We believe, uh, we were just hearing actually, that um, she had a caesarean section and the baby has died and we're now also being told that mum has died as well. Remember that the Russian authorities said that it was fake news. Is that a war crime? Well, yes, I think it is. Um, it's, it's an appalling atrocity. It's a war crime because uh, under international law, uh, you cannot attack uh, health facilities, hospitals, and, in fact, uh, uh, the recent, most recent information I have from the World Health Organization is they now have documented evidence of at least 31 such attacks of health facilities, hospitals, including shelling a couple of days ago of a cancer hospital. A cancer uh, hospital? Well. What? What kind of fuckery is this? He's making it up as he goes along. 18, 20, 30, 31 hospitals, cancer hospitals. What a shower of bastards the Russians are, eh? If you believe Kay Burley and Sajid Javid. 
Let's hear some more. And the hospitals right across the country that have been hit? They're right across the country, yes. It's appalling atrocities. And when the British embassy, the uh, Russian embassy in Britain, says that it's fake news, how should we deal with that? I know that that tweet has subsequently been taken down by Twitter, but nevertheless, that's the propaganda that they're... I mean, the only fake news is everything we hear uh, from Russia. Wow. So the Russian embassy said, it's, it's not true, it didn't happen. Twitter deleted the tweet. So Twitter is now the, arbit the arbiter of what is true and what isn't true. These are things that should astonish people. But they don't. These are things that people are taking as a given, taking for granted. It's okay for a social media company to delete the tweet of the Russian embassy. Now, they might be lying through their teeth. The, the Russian military may well have bombed a cancer hospital. It might very well have bombed a maternity ward where real pregnant women were, were, were waiting to deliver their babies. That might have happened. I don't know. It's the purpose of this fucking programme. I don't know. I'm not saying what is true and what isn't true. But how dare Twitter, Jack Dorsey's mob, say, well, that's a, that's a lie, so we're deleting it. Based on what? How do you know? Were you there? Whose evidence are you listening to? Who's gathering information on your behalf to enable you to make an accurate decision? To say, right, that's false. The Russians are lying, so we'll delete the tweet and later on we'll delete the entire account. It's relentless propaganda. I said at the very beginning of the programme, morning, noon and night on British television, this is what you're hearing. I mean, Russia is, we saw this in, in this country with the Salisbury attacks and it's continued ever since. And we can see for ourselves what's actually happening. We've seen from you know, Brave Sky reporters, we heard just yesterday. Uh, Brave Sky reporters. American journalist uh, was killed uh, by the Russians. So, you targeted know, by the Russians. Targeted, killed. And it's an opportunity for me, actually. Why would the Russians target this guy, Reno, this journalist they, they say was murdered? I mean, surely amongst the viewers of these programmes and, and listeners to these radio programmes, surely people, some people, more people maybe th th than I previously hoped, are, are listening to this and saying, this is horse shit. Why would the Russians target some random American journalist? Why would they do that? Qui bono? Who benefits? Well, obviously Russia wouldn't benefit. And I guarantee you that in any conflict, regardless of who started it, and the Russians definitely started this one, don't start now with 2014, don't start with NATO, 30 years. I know all of this. I've reported on this. I know. But Russia rolled in the tanks and began the shelling of civilian populations. Like it or lump it, regardless of who's historically right. And, 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 and a, an argument can be made, and I've made the argument, that historically Russia is right when it comes to Ukraine and Crimea, right? 2014, Victoria Newland and all of that. But they've rolled the tanks in and began shelling civilian areas when they could have just drew a line around eastern Ukraine Donbass, Luhansk, and said, right, we're stopping here. And that's why, if you've listened to this programme long enough, and particularly in the last two weeks, I've been asking the question, is Putin in on it? The WEF, the WEF agenda. The Great Reset. Because none of this makes sense. To me, anyway. So, 
And that's the, the maddening thing about it. But um, the propaganda is relentless. Say to thanks to all the journalists that are out there risking their lives, bringing us the real facts and the real news of what's actually the happening. The real facts the and the real news. I don't buy this American journalist being murdered by the Russians. Targeted, they're saying. I could understand it if they said, if they reported that the guy had been shot and they said it was accidental. Or that Russian soldiers opened fire on a car and a journalist happened to be in the passenger seat or the back seat. But this notion that they targeted him, that should be setting off bullshit alarm bells all over. Those who, who consume the media, they must be saying, well, why would they do that? But maybe they don't. And several times during this morning's Kay Burley programme, because I had it on in the background as I was writing articles for richieallen.co.uk, several times during the programme, she went back to the report about the pregnant woman dying and the baby dying a week after we first learned of the maternity ward bombing. So she kept going back to that report, oh, the mother is dead, oh, the baby is dead, and followed it up with this type of thing. Can't even begin to imagine, can you, that, you know, the safest place in a war zone is supposed to be a hospital and uh, mum at her most vulnerable, heavily, heavily pregnant, and a bomb hits the hospital and she's stretched away by the military personnel, taken to another hospital, as Nick was saying. They've done everything they can to save her, but we're hearing that both mum and baby have died. As this, this, this is pesos. This, this is commentary. It's, it's emotional claptrap. This is not news. This isn't reporting. This is something far, far, far deeper. And I wonder, because I've been lecturing various radio audiences about this for many, many years. Is it getting through to people? The level of manipulation being directed right down their television sets, down their mobile phones, down their tablets, their laptops. Is it dawning on them that they're basically, that psychological warfare is being waged on them? Not by, not by Kay Burley. Of course not Kay Burley. Burley's just a tool of it. I mean, this is crap, this. As a result, I was going to say of a caesarean section, but that's not why they died. They died because the hospital was bombed by Russian forces. So let that sink in this morning. This let that sink in. This Monday morning. Um, we're hearing that um, China's foreign ministry um, has... Uh, and then she recovers very quickly, as always, to move on to another but related story. As the time is 19 minutes to the top of the hour, this is the Richie Allen Show. It's live from Salford. I'm Richie Allen. This is Todd Rundgren. And the old voice is bearing up just about. Back with more news, or analysis anyway. Not what the BBG can do for you, but what you can do for the BBG. Support the Richie Allen Show now at richieallen.co.uk. You're listening to your Richie Allen Show on richieallen.co.uk. Where it's about 16 minutes to the top of the hour, Isabel asks a very good question on richieallen.co.uk. She asks, has anyone noticed how all English news channels never miss a chance to remind the listeners or the viewers that there are that these are the real news or this is the real news is this part of their brainwashing techniques asks isabel it's very good 
yes, it has crept in this during reporting. Either the guest or the presenter will remind the viewer or the listener that this is the real news. This is the home of real news. You can trust our news and all of that. Doesn't Sky News laughably refer to itself as the home of independent journalism, Sky? You know, forget conjecture. I'll always throw it out there when when it's opinion or conjecture. I think you know that. But that's a downright lie. Sky isn't independent. It's no more independent than, than, than the independent, right? It isn't. It, it, like all its contemporaries, it rips and reads stories from Reuters, from the Associated Press, from AFP. There's very little journalism there. Yes, they send reporters out to various places to stand there and to feed in live reporting from location to the studio. But there's no journalism. That's an absolute lie. It's a barefaced lie. Caroline says, uh, OK, what about all the babies that have died over the past two years from the BS jobs? These fecking newsreaders make me sick. And Steve T posts a long post about, about the connection between Ukraine and 9-11. Now, Steve, it's a well-written post, but I'm going to say it's a bit thin. It's a bit thin when it comes to you know, hard evidence. He points out correctly that Victoria Newland, who oversaw the operation to get rid of Viktor Yanukovych in Ukraine in 2014, is married to Robert Kagan, who co-founded the think tank, the Project for the New American Century, in 1998, which, of course, is linked to September the 11th. Now, how is it? Did the Project for the New American Century did the think tank blow up the Twin Towers? No, no. But they published, they, they published a document about America's future place in the world. And in that document, it was said that the United States needed a new Pearl Harbor event to convince the public, to convince the people to go along with the with the changes, with the invasions, with the wars that America would need to fight in order to to reimagine the world. So Kagan was is married to Newland. Kagan was involved in the project for the new American century. And uh, that's true. But look with Victoria Newland, there is an element of jobs for the boys or jobs for the girls. But you know what, Steve? You might be right, and I might be wrong. I'm often wrong, but I'm, I'm not going to get too excited about Newland being married to Kagan. They all piss in the same pot, these people, ultimately, you know. Alice says, we bought a Tesla bio-healer. Is that healer or heater? Healer. And within four days, my sister's arthritis is almost gone. A Tesla bio-healer. I'll have to look into that. I'm not advertising anything like that or endorsing anything like that. Charlie says, Richie, last week I went into the office for the first time in two years, met my colleagues for the first time. We went to lunch. We went to a pizza joint. As I was demolishing my calzoni, the conversation turned to Ukraine. I was asked for my opinion. I said that it's not as simple as Russia bad guy, West good guys. And I don't trust the mainstream media or the government. A colleague practically offered me out and was calling me a Putin sympathiser. 
It was a stark and swift and overreaction, as I am depicting here. Shocking, says Charlie. I was shaking in the bogs afterwards, trying to compose myself. That's very honest, Charlie. Yeah, offered you out to our American listeners. He challenged them for a fight, but you probably guessed that. Wow. Rob says, since the scamdemic, I'm determined not to use any big pharma shite. I had a sore throat and head cold a few days ago. I drank ginger and turmeric tea. Uh, I can never pronounce turmeric. Turmeric tea. And stuck my head over a bowl of boiling water with ginger in it. Thanks, Rob. That's a natural approach, no doubt about that. Interesting story about natural treatments on richieallen.co.uk. Today, the time is 11 minutes to 6 o'clock. The old voice is bearing up, isn't it? Am I tempting fate? Am I? Am I? Maybe I'm not. Hey, listen, let's move on. Let's talk about something. Let's talk. Let's. I said we talk about the refugee offer. And then I kind of got caught, went off on a tangent. I went down a rabbit hole, you might argue. So to the refugees then, okay, open your house. I don't know, kit out your spare room and receive £350 a month from the government. Now, breakfast television this morning had a number of different families, eager, really excited and, and, and what's the word I'm looking for, enthusiastic families who couldn't wait to welcome a refugee and they were very, very excited to be showing people like Kay Burley and BBC Breakfast really excited to be showing them what they've done with their spare rooms for those poor refugees. Um, so let's stay with Sajid Javid, the Health Secretary. He told Nick Ferrari this morning, a presenter, that there will be no limit on the amount of Ukrainians who can come to the UK. And, and, and they can work the minute they arrive. No limits. And they can work the minute they set foot in the country. Shall we play a game, dear listener, of stupid question? We haven't played it for ages. We haven't played it for over a year. Let's bring it back. I'd almost forgotten about it. So I'll give you the rules of the game. The rules are very simple. We play a question from a UK television or radio presenter. Then we ask our panel of experts if they think it's a stupid question or not. Couldn't be easier to follow. The panel is a prestigious one. Uh, a captain of the Starship Enterprise, Dutch football manager Louis van Gaal, and former US President Donald Trump. Let's play another round of, it's been a long time, well, of stupid questions. Stupid question. Stupid question. Stupid question. Stupid question. Stupid question. Spared no expense when, when we made the jingle. No expense whatsoever. So, this week's contestant is the aforementioned LBC's Nick Ferrari. Here's his question for Sajid Javid, the health secretary. Listen up. Stupid question or good question. Will you be providing a, a, a room or a home for a Ukrainian secretary of state? Okay, let's hear it again, just in case you didn't catch it. Will you be providing a, a, a room or a home for a Ukrainian secretary of state? Let's ask the panel. Donald Trump, Louis Van Hal, and the captain of the USS Enterprise. That's a stupid question. It's a stupid question, I think. It's a stupid question. What a stupid question that is. What a stupid question. 
but I watch you a lot. You ask a lot of stupid questions. Cotton dry. It's a uh, stupid question. Absolutely stupid question. Anyway, here's the answer. Health Secretary, will you be taking in some refugees? Ah, oh, you've never heard backpedalling like this. I, I have considered it. I haven't made a decision yet. Obviously, I need to discuss it together with my wife. But I, I think whoever is a host, they, they need to make sure that they can uh, offer the time. I think that it's necessary to, to be a, a, a proper host. And I'm not sure personally whether I can do that myself. Uh, but uh, even if one cannot be a host, I think there are many ways uh, that anyone can help that one of the simplest ways uh, actually is and, and obviously I've done this like many millions of British people is to donate uh, to to the disasters emergency committee appeal he's going to have a chat with the wife but we should bear in mind that a good host should be there to host to look after the refugees and well Mr Javid is a very busy man these days isn't he anyway that concludes today's episode of Stupid Questions. Stupid! Oh, I won't subject you to that feckin' jingle again. What was I thinking? Anyway, he gave his answer. What a dipstick. And Michael Gove, I don't know if there's... I, I was looking for some audio to bring you. Michael Gove, the Minister for Leveling Up. That's a real thing, apparently. He addressed the Commons this afternoon to put some more meat on the bones. Of, of the plan to bring Ukrainian refugees into our homes. Actually, I can bring you the audio. Here he is, the Minister for Leveling Up, Michael Gove, or the Housing and Community Secretary, to give me his proper title. The scheme will be open to all Ukrainian nationals and residents. They will be able to live and work in the United Kingdom for up to three years. They will have full and unrestricted access to benefits, healthcare, employment, and other support. Sponsors in the UK can be of any nationality with any immigration status, provided they have at least six months leave to remain within the UK. Sponsors will have to provide accommodation for a minimum of six months, and in recognition of their generosity, the government will provide a monthly payment of £350 to sponsors for each family whom they look after. These payments will be tax-free, they will not affect benefit entitlement nor council tax status. Ukrainians arriving in the United Kingdom will also have access to the full range of public services. Full range of public services, of course. NHS, everything else. Why not? Why not? Michael Gove there. This is madness, isn't it? Isn't it? Why, are you saying that it's wrong? No, no, I'm not. I'm not. Regardless of what's really going on in Ukraine and what agendas are behind it, the people running out of the country for their lives are real people. So I'm not saying you shouldn't help people, but look, look, there, there isn't enough time in the day. And we've gone over this so many times, haven't we? The time is four minutes to the top of the hour. The community secretary there, Michael Gove. Hey, listen, Nick Ferrari did ask Sachi Javid, the health secretary, about the hypocrisy of criticising Russia while saying nothing about Saudi Arabia continuing to buy its oil and sell it weapons. 81 people were beheaded in Saudi Arabia over the weekend. What a lovely place. Yes, lovely place. So, um, yeah, uh, Nick Ferrari asked Sajid Javid, isn't it hypocritical to be demonising the Russians while getting into bed with the despotic Saudis? What did Javid say to that? 
that we've had a long-standing relationship uh, with the, the Saudi uh, government where uh, there's always a very frank exchange. We don't agree with their approach on human rights. We're, we're always right to, to, to call that out. and to, We don't agree with their approach on human rights. And to talk to them uh, frankly about that. At the same time, it is also possible to have an economic relationship, you know, whether people like it or not, China, uh, Saudi Arabia is is the world's largest producer of crude oil. And it's important, especially at the time of a major global energy crisis, that we have these talks with them. A friend of mine was in Saudi Arabia 15, 16 years ago. And inadvertently, this is gospel, accidentally happened upon the beheading of a guy in a football field. It, it, there are no words to describe life conditions for people in Saudi Arabia. And this government has been selling arms to the Saudis for a number of years now and giving them warplanes, airplanes and missiles. And those planes and missiles and guns and bombs have been rained down on the people of Yemen. And tens of thousands of people, that's conservative number now, have been killed. Yeah. Anyway. We'll leave that one there for now, will we? That's another one I've waxed lyrical on enough times over the years. Two and a half minutes to six o'clock. No, let's not leave it there. Because Crispin Blunt MP had something to say about this in the House of Commons this afternoon. That is because an urgent question was asked of the government by the opposition party about the 81 people murdered in Ukraine excuse me, murdered in Saudi Arabia over the weekend, beheaded. An urgent question. So, uh, we can bring you Crispin Blunt, can we? We can. Here it is. This is Crispin Blunt. Urgent question was asked of the government and any MPs attending the urgent question, well, they would have a chance to, to state their case, their opinion, Here's what Crispin Blunt, Conservative MP, said to Amanda Milling. Now, she's a Foreign Office Minister. Listen to this. Uh, Mr Speaker, thank you for granting this urgent question, which itself recognises the execution of 81 men on one day as of profound concern to this House and to our country, which has so many shared interests with the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Does my right honourable friend agree that this represents a new low for human rights and criminal justice in the Kingdom, coming only a week after the Crown Prince had promised to modernise the Saudi justice system. A decade ago, as a Justice Minister, I supported government-to-government work to help Saudi Arabia modernise its justice system as we work to build a strong and positive partnership with the Kingdom. Can my right honourable friend confirm that emptying death row in this way is not the kind of modernisation anyone would have had in mind when we signed off support to Saudi Arabia in happier times? Does my right honourable friend recognise the exquisite difficulties that this has presented to our Prime Minister? What assurances will he be seeking from Saudi Arabia in respect of human rights on his next visit there? Will he at least seek an assurance? that execution of those arrested for alleged crimes when children will cease. Will he make clear to the Crown Prince how appalled Friends of the Kingdom are, particularly in light of the state's assassination of Jamal al-Khashoggi only three years ago? Does my right honourable friend think these events have been the behaviour of a friend? 
This is Amanda Milling. She was there to answer the urgent question for Foreign Office Minister, Tory MP. I thank uh, my honourable friend. Um, I'll try and take and, you know, these points in turn. Uh, the UK's relationship with Saudi Arabia is of great importance, uh, ranging from kind of national security to economic interests. But that nature of our relationship does mean that we can speak frankly about human rights. And as I said in my opening remarks, the United Kingdom strongly opposes the death penalty in all countries and in all circumstances as a matter of principle. And Saudi Arabia is well aware of the UK's opposition to use the death penalty. As I say, we raise these concerns with the authorities through a number of, through a range of ministerial and diplomatic channels. And regarding the juvenile death penalty, you know, we, ra we raise concerns with the, the Saudi authorities regarding the juvenile death penalty application. And regarding Khashoggi, the UK has always been clear that his murder was a terrible crime. We condemn his killing in the strongest possible terms, which is why we sanctioned 20 Saudi nationals involved in the murder under the global human rights regime. You know, the UK is a terrorist state. When, when you sell weapons of mass destruction to a country, knowing what they're going to do with them, that they're going to use them to brutalise and uh, uh, murder tens of thousands of people in Yemen, raise that country effectively to the ground. Well, you're a terrorist state, you are. I don't know what else to say about that. It's incredible to me to see the UK media in lockstep, in tandem, criticising what Russia may or may not be doing in Ukraine, attacking civilians in Ukraine, claims about opening humanitarian corridors and then firing upon people using those corridors to flee, which, if true, is obviously despotic. It's dreadful. It's horrendous. But the UK doesn't have a leg to stand on. It's vaudevillian, positively, isn't it? It's three minutes past the hour. Back to your comments. RichieAllen.co.uk is where you can reach me. You can't tweet me during the programme because I'm not on Twitter, at least not officially. Anyway, you can uh, leave a message, richieallen.co.uk, comment live, and I'll read them out as I go along. Emma says, makes you wonder what level of vaccine push was in Ukraine. The elite might be bringing people over here for the clean-up, she says. Joan says, hi, Richie, we have all said before, but what about the homeless and veterans living on the streets in any given country, what about them? I refused to do my census last year. I got badgered and harassed, not doing it so that they can throw me out and or move others into my spare room. They can feg off, says Joan. Thank you, Joan. Uh, Paul asks, isn't Wahhabism an extension of Sabbatian Frankists? Um, okay, yes, no, maybe. Um... Alice says, what about inviting Gaza citizens to the UK? Well, it's funny when you think about it. Sabatian, of course. It's funny when you think about it. So, Iraq, 2003. A million people murdered, at least, by the Coalition of the Willing. At least three million refugees, at least. Libya, again, 
more lies, more propaganda, no fly zone over Tripoli, thousands and thousands and thousands killed. Uh, Foreign Affairs Select Committee, chaired by Crispin Blunt at the time, in 2015, I think, they uh, went away and reported on what happened in Libya. They came back and basically said that David Cameron and Barack Obama were liars and that they lied about the nature of the, the, the threat posed by the Gaddafi so-called regime against, against Libyan people. The Foreign Affairs Select Committee report said that the government lied when it declared fighters in Libya to be opposition fighters, to be freedom fighters, when in fact the government knew that they were terrorists. And those terrorists were trained, armed and funded by the intelligence agencies of the UK and elsewhere. That's what's been going on in this country. So you have the Iraq thing, millions of refugees, Libya, millions of refugees. And at no point did anybody ask people in the UK to open their homes to those refugees. Then we had Syria. Like the Arab Spring, another pack of lies about a, a, a government. Now, we, we can argue all day long about the nature of democracy in Syria. I'll, I'll listen to you. you know, I know who Bashar al-Assad's father was. But I have a lot of time for Bashar al-Assad, the ophthalmologist, the optician, the reluctant president, whose brother was supposed to get the gig, but he died in a car crash. Bashar was left in there. The United Nations said in 2008, 2009, 2009, 2010, I should say, they said, this guy, Assad, he's great, this guy. He's meeting all of his millennial goals. He's a good president. And he is transforming the country away from autocracy or authoritarianism and moving towards a more, I suppose, Western model of democratic processes. They loved them, the United Nations. But there were others who wanted rid of them. So the same Wahhabists, the same nutcase jihadists that were in Libya were sent to Ukraine. They were funded, armed and trained, a lot of them trained in Saudi Arabia, given money by the British government, surreptitiously, through the back channels, through the intelligence agencies, nutcases were sent into Syria to sack the country and to depose Bashar al-Assad, and those nutcases were labelled as freedom fighters. Hundreds of thousands, if not millions, left Syria, migrated into Europe. Nobody at that time called for people in this country or anywhere else to give a spare room to a refugee. So what is going on now? Well, I'll tell you what I think is going on. This is theatre. Not warfare, as we would understand it, although people fleeing Ukraine will tell you a different story. But this is something else entirely. You tell me. It's eight minutes past the hour. The Richie Allen Show for Monday, the 14th of March, 2022. RichieAllen.co.uk. It's comment live at the top of the menu bar. 
Uncensored, unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. And thanks so much for all of your messages, by the way. I really do appreciate them. I should say comments hanging on in there. I'll take a tune in a moment. I'll have some water. Probably going to go till about 6.30 today, I think. Vicky says, will single people who agree to take in a refugee for £350 lose their 25% single person reduction on council tax because surely they will then be classed as cohabiting? Interesting question. Gove didn't mention council tax. He said it wouldn't affect people's benefits, Vicky, didn't he? Gove. But I, I don't believe that he mentioned council tax. That's a local authority tax, of course. That's a good question. It's one to ask, Vicky. Contact your local authority. Not that I imagine for a minute that you're going to be taking in a Ukrainian refugee. Isabel asks, I wonder when the propaganda for COVID vaccination comes back. What will be done? What will it be done of the refugees who refuse to get the jab? Anyone? Asks Isabel. Well, apparently Ukraine had a 30% COVID jab uptake, didn't it? As far as I understand. Now, this was interesting because a number of independent media commentators, they were saying that they wouldn't be surprised if the next time the government comes out with a new variant of concern, that they, they link it to the influx of, of Ukrainian refugees into the UK, into Ireland, into France, into Germany, etc., etc. That is interesting. And you know, while COVID might have gone off the news agenda here in the UK for the last couple of weeks, it certainly hasn't gone off the agenda in the United States. I was reading over the weekend that the mayor of Chicago, the mayoress, let's say it right, the mayoress of Chicago uh, announced at the weekend that city workers there, including police officers, who haven't had their first jab by Sunday, this Sunday coming, um, they won't be paid until such time as they do go and have their jabs. Not that they will be fired. The mayoress of Chicago, black lady, name escapes me, small woman, diminutive woman, can't think of her name. So it's funny, on, on the news agenda here, COVID seemingly gone for the moment, but in other parts of the world, particularly in the United States, it's not gone anywhere. Workers are being told, get jabbed or you won't be paid. That's an interesting one, that, isn't it? Um, thoughts, comments on that, richieallen.co.uk. Paul says, current events are an attempt to smash the nations and countries by technocratic globalists, in my opinion, says Paul. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. Justin says, listening from Belgium, Richie, he says, um, the broadcast occasionally cuts out. Recently, it did so, as you mentioned, Sky News as being independent. <laughs> what it is, Justin, the programme is, thankfully, uh, it's doing well, it's popular. And uh, traffic can sometimes cause the stream to drop out for certain people in certain parts of the world. Uh, so I'm guessing that's the problem there in Belgium. Apologies for that. I, I don't believe it's the spooks listening in and, and causing and causing trouble. I don't believe that. 
Somebody said Scaramouche says holes extra strong mentaliptus mentaliptus for COVID. That's your job, he says. Al says, did did the Russian soldiers then follow up the bombing of the hospital by taking the babies out of the incubators and throwing them on the floor? The propaganda always follows the same old tried and tested narrative that we have heard from past conflicts. Gavin says, I treat this so-called war as I did the COVID hoax by totally ignoring it and switching off all the media coverage. I think that Russia is as much part of the Great Reset as all the other players in this war game. Just have to look at energy prices and inflation to see it suits Agenda 2030. Anything the the cult wants comes out on the fake stream. That's Gavin there. Paul agrees, doesn't watch the news, rarely reads the papers, but gets the headline notifications via his phone. Thank you, Paul. He says, you thought, you'd have thought two years of complete bollocks would have been more than enough to turn most people away from the likes of The Beeb and The Guardian, wouldn't you? You would do. Rich says, the problem for me is I don't need these presenters telling me what emotions to be feeling about something. Tell me the facts and I can decide for myself. It's the same shite as the COVID reporting, etc. Craig says, we kill thousands of people. We, in fact, he, he writes, we kill thousands of babies at abortion clinics every year without batting an eyelid. But Russia is bad because of the death of one unborn baby. We really do live in a world without proper perspective. John says, I don't know, Richie, the crap the MSM presents as news. Nothing but propaganda and manipulation. That's John. Thank you so much. John, I'm hoping I do. I have some Morrissey. I have Morrissey. Thing. I hope I've got something lined up I have Morrissey This is one of my favourite songs of all time Not that it really matters 14 minutes past the hour Back with some more after this Morrissey's album Vauxhall and I Is an album to hear before you die Says who? Says I It's wonderful Produced by the great Steve Lillywhite It's one of the greatest albums of all time In my humble opinion That's the opening track now my heart is full. Wonderful stuff. I know he's a bit of a dipstick, isn't he? I know. But still, I love him anyway. You might want to hear this if you're planning on travelling anywhere soon. UK Transport Secretary Grant Shapps has confirmed to the BBC in the last half an hour that all remaining COVID travel measures, UK COVID travel measures, will be scrapped from Friday. Would you like to hear Grant Shapps? Here he is with the confirmation. Finally, uh, we're able to get rid of all of the travel restrictions so there is no more testing, there's no more quarantining, there's no more paperwork. And today we will be scrapping the passenger locator form, and this Friday, I should say, uh, meaning that you can travel just like in the good old days. Um, this surely disincentivizes people who haven't got their jab yet. So why are you doing this now? Well, what we've come to in the, in the UK is such a high level of vaccination where everybody has answered the call, gone out and vaccinated in record numbers. And then, of course, on top of that, got boosted as well. And all of that has enabled us to give this extra freedom now of not having to fill in pieces of paper or go online and fill in a passenger locator form before leaving wherever you're coming from to come to the UK. So it's because of people's you know, high response to the, uh, all of the vaccinations, we're now able to scrap that remaining bureaucracy. I think it would be great news for travel, 
fantastic for people who want to join up with families again, do business abroad, um, go for a bit of sun. They're now able to do that without all the bureaucracy and paperwork. Grand Shops Transport Secretary. We're not too far away from, from Easter, are we? The, 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 the half term, is it? Is that what they call it? Not too far away in April. Second, third week in April, isn't it? The ninth, the tenth. Is Easter Sunday, April 17th. For some reason I have that in my mind. So a month away, families planning for a, for a spring break on the Costa del Sol or Mallorca where the water down tastes like water water. Might want to, um, or they might celebrate hearing that from Grant Shaps. My pal Jean-Anne Crowley, actress, writer, broadcaster, extraordinaire, sent me some information I should be reading out to you. If you're joining me just now, it's a bit of a weird Monday. I've never, ever, ever done a radio show on a Monday without guests. But it just worked out like that today. Murphy's Law, because my 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 throat is very sore right about now. And it's uh, impacting on my vocals. So, uh, yeah, it's just me. It's been me for the last uh, 80 minutes. Yeah, 80 minutes or thereabouts. Jean-Anne was listening with interest to the offer of £350 a month to uh, UK households who open, in a charitable way, open their doors and take in a Ukrainian refugee or family. But if they do, they've got to commit to doing it for six months. So Jean-Anne has sent me something. Now, this is in Ireland. Here's the following, says Jean-Anne, from Lawyers for Justice Ireland. You might need to reach out to the Lawyers for Justice to get somebody to come on the programme. The 39th Amendment of the Constitution brackets, right to housing, uh, Bill 2020, the 39th Amendment of the Constitution, right to housing Bill 2020, reached the second stage in the Oireachtas in June 2021. What does it propose? Well, the bill proposes to amend the Constitution by inserting text after Section 2 of Article 43, delimiting the right to private property, quote, where it is necessary to ensure the common good and to vindicate the said right to housing of all residents in Ireland, end quote. So some concerned lawyers in Ireland are rightly, rightly concerned, I should say, lawyers in Ireland, solicitors, lawyers, barristers, are absolutely pissed off at a proposed amendment to the Irish Constitution, the Right to Housing Bill, that would delimit one's right to private property if the government or some other party felt it necessary to do so, to delimit the right to private property, to ensure the common good and to vindicate the said right to housing of all residents in Ireland. Jean-Anne tells me the group are rather concerned about the new census, which for the first time asks how many bedrooms. The new Irish census. Joan mentioned this a minute ago on, on the messages. 
It's coming back to me. It's been a long day, forgive me. Thanks, Joan, and thanks, Jean-Anne. Jean-Anne says they're concerned about the new census, which for the first time asks how many bedrooms. And, says Jean-Anne, given that the World Economic Forum has already been discussing end of private property, and whenever you read for the common good, beware. And all residents covers a multitude. Weasel words, says Jean-Anne, and not a mention in our media. Naturally. Not a mention. Irish politicians seeking to amend the constitution of the country where it pertains to housing. To slip in an amendment that gives the state, or, to be more realistic, the puppet masters that pull the strings of the politicians that apparently lead the state, to give them the power to delimit the rights of people to own private property. I'm glad I saw that. We'll have to get Lawyers for Justice or Lawyers for Justice Ireland on the programme to discuss it more. It's 25 minutes past the hour. This is your Richie Allen Show. It's live. It always is. From Salford. And the programme is archived on richieallen.co.uk. Hmm. You saw that today, didn't you? On the on the website. Speaking of private property, here's not so a not-so-neat little segue, dear listener. But speaking of the Housing Secretary Michael Gove, which we did earlier in this broadcast, he's been suggesting that the houses of sanctioned Russians should be used to house refugees. Now, I've described this on, on, on the website, in, in pieces I've written for the website, as basically grand larceny. So they've identified wealthy Russian people. <coughs> excuse me. Excuse me, excuse me. They've identified these men and women simply because they were born in Russia. And they've sanctioned them. And they've said that these people are linked to the Russian government, particularly Vladimir Putin. Therefore, we can seize their assets, freeze their bank accounts, rob them, basically. Guilt by association. No proof offered. None of these people, as far as I can tell, have any criminal records internationally or, or domestically. But it's okay to steal their property, says Michael Gove. I mentioned again today the Roman Abramovich saga, the owner of Chelsea, who they're going to sell Chelsea Football Club, which, which Abramovich owns, by the way, and the club owes him a significant amount of money. In fact, it's a ludicrous amount of money, over a billion pounds he's owed by his own company by his own football club. But they're going to sell it and they're going to distribute the money. We'll have your football club that probably would fetch a billion pounds or more on the open market. We'll have it and you can go, well, piss up a flagpole, basically. Tough shit, Paddy. Amazing to me, this. Because when I put this stuff on the website, a number of you, very cleverly, I, I think very shrewdly, you observe that, well, once they begin doing this to billionaire oligarchs, taking their property and their money because of their alleged association with somebody. And remember, none of these oligarchs 
have anything to do with the invasion of Ukraine. None of them. Even if they agreed with it, and it's hard to imagine that any of them do agree with it, that if you met one of these oligarchs and said, hey, listen, what do you think of your country invading Ukraine? I'm, I'd put my last £5 note on. Most of them would say, well, that's not good. Even if they were selfish bastards, like, like that's not good for business. That's not good for energy prices. Um, but they wouldn't agree with it, let alone support it. And by support, I mean material support. None of these oligarchs have provided material support for the invasion of Ukraine. But this government and others have taken it for themselves, taken it upon themselves, will steal your stuff, will castigate you in the media, in the court of public opinion. You will not be afforded your right of reply anywhere. You can just fuck off, basically. We'll have your stuff. 29 minutes past 6 o'clock. Amazing to me, this. You think it's a stretch in the future when they're turning the country into an open prison because of climate change, the greatest hoax ever perpetrated. Ever. On humanity. Climate change, this bollocks. This idea that man-made CO2 is irreversibly warming the planet. It's, it's a massive lie. God be with the days when I used to believe this shit, you know. Back in my commercial days. I bought into it. Most lefties did buy into it. Most, you know, trade unionists bought into this idea, this narrative. How wrong we were. Who's to say in the future, if you're actively working to, to put the other side of the argument out there, out there, where is out there, but in the public, online, meetings in public, meetings in town halls, meetings in parks. Who's to say the government can't freeze your assets? Especially when, and I know this is an old chestnut, it'll be new to some of our listeners who are listening to programmes like this for the very first time. But when cash is gone for good, and cash is very nearly gone for good, it will be Central Bank Digital Currency, CBDC, or CDC, Centralised Digitalised Currency, and then they can switch you off as easy as that. Gone. That guy over there. That guy over there. He's got the wrong attitude when it comes to when it comes to gender politics. He's got the wrong approach when it comes to vaccination, when it comes to as I said, climate change. So let's switch him off. Let's punish him. Switch him off or her for a while. See how he likes it. Freeze his assets. Close his bank account. Tell him he can't sell anything. He can't buy anything. He can't travel anywhere until such a time as he changes his opinion and his attitude. And he goes with the flow. And the flow is we have to, again, turn the planet into a dystopian nightmare to protect against climate change, which, which, which climates change every day. Uh, Man-made climate change, which, which isn't happening. Um, we, we've got to go along with that. 
And if he goes along with that, well, he can access his account and he can go to the supermarket and if he likes, he can go to the cinema. None of that is an exaggeration. That is not only coming, it's already here. What will I do now? 28 minutes to the top of the hour. Let's do this then. don't know if you saw this today. This is interesting. We kind of came in on this at the beginning of the programme. This idea of toxic masculinity. You know, these, this barrage of celebrities across social media, in the legacy media, constantly telling people that you must accept, you must admit that you have mental health issues from time to time. You must do. To not do so is toxic. And this is being pushed by every... I mean, you open up any newspaper in this country any day of the week. Any newspaper. You watch a news broadcast, whether it be BBC News 24, whether it be Sky News, particularly the 24-hour-a-day news channels. Inundated with campaigns. You'll watch Kay Burley on Sky News. You'll watch Dan Walker and Naga Monchetti the munchkin, on BBC Breakfast. Every morning, it is an interview with someone who's promoting some mental health awareness campaign. Most other campaigns around other health issues, they have a day or they have a week out of a whole year. Mental health is being pushed at people every single day of the week, 52 weeks a year. It is relentless. I am not exaggerating. You're not well. You need to talk about not being unwell. It's okay not to be well. It's okay to be depressed. You have to talk about it. Punctuated, as I said, by life stories from celebrities, from sports stars, athletes, movie stars, past and present, talking about how they struggle with their mental health. And they're doing this to children. Imposing this nonsense on children. Children, young children, are under an all-out attack, a psychological warfare, by agencies working on behalf, could you say this government? Could you say governments? Or is it other entities driving an agenda in schools that is absolutely terrifying. I've said it a thousand times if I've said it once. No child of ours would ever set foot inside a school in this country, especially a primary school. No chance. The Mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, Labour, he wants primary school children to receive lessons on misogyny and sexism. He announced this over the weekend, he was photographed with the manager of Crystal Palace, French soccer legend Patrick Vieira. Arsenal, of course, won the World Cup with France. So he appeared with him and said, the onus is on men and boys to call out their friends' misogynistic behaviour. Children. Impressing upon young boys that there is something inherently wrong with being male and that this negatively impacts 
on the females in your environment and you have to deal with it. Children, they're, they're inflicting this nonsense on. Khan was on Good Morning Britain today with, uh, I don't know who presented, Susanna Reid maybe. Let's have a listen to what Khan had to say. This is from this morning, Sadiq Khan, Mayor of London. Well, no, often the issue is uh, people may not realise that their inappropriate words don't feel that way to those receiving it. It's it's harassment. It makes them feel uncomfortable. And often there's peer pressure. And so the campaign is about us reflecting as as blokes on our own behaviour, but also challenging those uh, around us. And the advert gives just one example of the many, many examples women and girls experience on a daily basis across our country. Um, You've also um, want children to be taught about misogyny in primary schools, um, little boys to be told about it. Just wonder, that's a big responsibility for children, isn't it? And probably those children are learning at home. What advice would you give to teachers who are trying to handle that particular issue? She's a disgrace, Susanna Reid. An absolute fucking disgrace. As a human being, but as a broadcaster. Big responsibility on children. You think, great, she's going to say to this goon, Sadiq Khan, this is insanity, isn't it? To basically traumatise boys and girls with this agenda. Telling them that they're inherently bad. And telling girls they have to be saved from toxic masculinity. But no, Reid alludes to the idea that the boys are learning it in the home. That's where it starts, isn't it? Isn't it, Mr Mayor? This is Khan's response. This is woeful. Susanna, you know that our teachers already do a wonderful job teaching our children about healthy relationships, uh, about sex education and uh, so forth. I think it's got to start at primary school with boys understanding the importance of respecting girls, understanding that actually... Uh, sometimes uh, inappropriate uh, attitudes can lead to inappropriate behaviour. It starts at a young age, because if you can nurture a child so they treat somebody who's a different sex and gender with respect, uh, understand that some things are unacceptable, that will hopefully be spread when they become older, when they've got other mates and uh, so forth. We know that actually misogyny isn't a hate crime. We also know that it's possible to harass a woman and a girl in a public place and not be a criminal offence. Uh, a number of years ago, it's legal. It was legal to take a photograph of uh, up a girl's skirt. Right? It, it was a, a common experience. It's still a common experience, I'm afraid, for somebody of your gender when they're using the tube, a rust tube, to be touched up, whereas Richard and I haven't got that experience. And I think us men and boys have got to have empathy, understand that. Mm. We have to be allies for girls, he went on to say. The agenda is to destroy childhood. My, my, my pal in the west of Ireland has just said to me on, on social media, yes, it is. It's to terrorise and traumatise children at a time when they should be running around playing kiss and chase, which we played in primary schools. I went to St. Saviour's National School in Ballybeg in Waterford. It was co-ed, if that's the correct terminology. It is, of course, co-ed. I was very lucky. Went to a boys and girls together school in primary school and in secondary school. I was very lucky. I felt sorry for my mates who went to all boys schools. How dreadful, I thought. I never experienced it. We ran around in first form... Second form. Now in Ireland we say first standard, second standard. 
We ran around chasing girls in the playground for a peck on the cheek. I think if that happened in a primary school today, and I'm not exaggerating, I think parents would be called in and children might even be suspended. I read something in the press last year. Again, the irony. Okay, if it's in the press, can you believe it? But I read, I read where a young boy, a young boy in a primary school in America, what did they call primary schools in America? A young boy gave a girl a peck on the cheek in class. They were talking about something and laughing. This is a six-year-old boy. And he gave a girl sitting next to him a little peck on the cheek. And the boy was arrested. Do you remember this story? The police came in. Somebody thought it appropriate to phone the police. And the little boy was taken away. Look it up. You'll find the story. What are they doing to kids? They should be rolling around in the shit and in the mud and in the grass. Annoying the bejesus out of their parents. Tearing holes in the knees of their trousers. In those god-awful uniforms. Kicking footballs. Chasing tennis balls. Playing cricket. Chasing each other. And they're asking them to contemplate at that age the idea that they might be inherently bad people. And the idea that they might be asking them questions about what they're hearing at home. It's dreadful stuff this, isn't it? This isn't faux, faux or false outrage. This staggers me that this could be going on. And if it's not about toxic masculinity, it's, do you know, do you know children, there are a hundred genders and all of this fuckology. That's a real word, by the way. Look up the Oxford Concise. Look for fuckology. It's a real word, that. Imagine talking to children about genders. The gender-bred man. Remember that nonsense? Talking to children about, you know, you know, instilling in children ideas that they don't have the emotional, let alone the intellectual capacity to begin to deconstruct. They don't have the emotional or intellectual capacity. You don't start thinking about gender. You don't start thinking about sexual orientation until you're in your teens. It doesn't matter whether you're straight or gay. It's pretty much the same thing. I have gay mates. You have gay mates. I'm straight. I ask my gay mates, when did you start thinking about what you are, what your sexuality is? Well, I was probably 13 or 14. Same as me. So going into schools with this crap. We reported last year they're asking kids to as young as as young as six or seven to contemplate the biology of sex, something we didn't get into until we were in secondary school. I was thirteen when I went into secondary school and I had two or three different science teachers, a woman called Hallie. God, she was gorgeous. I'll never forget her. A guy called Derek Casey. Very, very funny cork man. Lovely guy. Another guy called Galvin, who was a bit curmudgeonly, but he was okay. He was a, he was a fair teacher. 13 when they said, let's have a look at the egg and the sperm and the zygote and the gametes and all this shit. And of course, we giggle like children, because we still were children, age 13, talking about this openly in a classroom. In a, very, in a very clinical way. 
They're asking children now to, to think about these things. Who? What? Why? Where is it coming from? Who benefits from it? Why are parents not up in arms about it? I'll tell you which parents are, to their eternal credit. Parents who, whose, whose um, background or their, their heritage is Asian. Asian parents won't put up with it. We're not having any of that shit. No, no, no. We're, I, I'm exempting my child from that. If a parent decides to exempt their child from that shit, nine out of ten times it'll be an Asian child. Mad stuff. Mad times. Not being blessed with children or a child. There's no way any child of ours would be subjected to that shit. Age four or five or six. I want you rolling around the ground screaming and playing and shouting. I want you wrecking my head morning, noon and night. Because that's your job, you're a child. Cause fucking chaos. This is Ace. The time is 15 and a half minutes to the top of the air. This is called How Long? How Apt? How Apt? Ace and How Long. That song is about one of the musicians flirting with another band. And the band found out, so they wrote How Long? Basically, how long has this been going on? I went to St. Saviour's in 1979. It was a brand new school. And it was, it was a beautifully built school. It had lots and lots of glass windows and glass doors looking out onto the world. It was beautiful. Ballybeg is a housing estate in Waterford that was built very, very close in proximity to Waterford Crystal. I, the best days of my childhood were spent in Ballybeg. Like any housing estate, it had one or two families. They all do. You know, problem families where the kids would be a bit feral and that, and you'd have, you'd have one or two issues. But it was a wonderful place to grow up. And some of the best people I ever met in my life came out of Ballybeg. And are still in Ballybeg, many of them. Very proud of the place. And I went to school there at St. Saviour's, boys and girls together, as I said. It was amazingly progressive. That's a terrible word normally, I know that. But it was an amazing school because it had telephones in the classrooms. I think I told you this before, probably a couple of years ago when I was short of a story to tell you. I'm not short now, but I'm bringing it up because it's relevant. Um, it had telephones in the classroom and Pauline, the school secretary, would phone the teacher because, you know, in primary school, you have the same teacher every day for the entire school year. And I have to say again, I was kind of lucky in that regard because there were some head cases who taught at St. Saviour's, well-meaning head cases, but they were head cases. Screamers. I mean screamers. But I didn't have them. I had, I had, um, God, I had a woman called Magella Curtin. That was her name, Magella Curtin. She was all right, Magella, yeah. I had a guy called Chris Power, Paul Dillon, Greg Scanlon. They were all right, musicians. Uh, Paul Dillon and Greg Scanlon were musicians. My mate, Jean Ann, would have heard of Greg Scanlon. Uh, very well-known musician and did a lot for musical theatre, even though Jean Ann didn't really have anything to do with musical theatre. Not too much, anyway. Now I am rambling. And boys and girls together school. And I remember, running, like I said, running around after the girls. And it was fairly common to ask a girl, or for a girl to ask a boy, to go with them. This is so innocent. It's incredibly 
kind of heartwarming looking back on it. A boy in primary school would pluck up the courage to ask a girl, will you go with me? And that meant you were an item if she said yes. If she didn't, well, massive humiliation ensued, right? For the boy, usually. But that didn't mean that you were dating. It didn't mean that you were kissing or making out, as they would say in America. It didn't. You weren't even holding hands. It was just some sort of verbal pact. <laughs> it was kind of funny, really. And I, I had two girlfriends. At one time, I had two girlfriends at the same time. Um, Liz and Pamela. A girl called Liz Power. It's a great woman. Lives in Huddersfield now, I believe. Works for the NHS, Liz. And a girl called Pamela O'Brien. And I took Liz and Pamela to my house for a play date when I was eight years old. I swear to God. And my mother was delighted with this to have some life around. In I walked after school with Liz and Pamela and my mother said, go to the video shop and get a film that you can all watch. <laughs> and the video shop was about a half a kilometre up the road and was run by a blackguard, which is another way of saying scoundrel, called Jerry. He was mad. The videos under the counter were far more interesting than the videos on display, if you catch my drift, dear listener. My mother sent me up with with specific instructions. She named the film, and I'm sure the film got a mention on a recent Sunday morning melodies. She said, go and get the film Who Will Love My Children? It's a true story about some woman who's dying of cancer and has to find a home for all her children. It's an emotional thing. The girls will enjoy that. Eight-year-old girls. (laughs) Traumatising them with the idea that mum might die of cancer. Anyway, I thought... Feck that. So I got up there and I, I think there was a pound to rent the video. A pound. So I had a pound, an old green banknote with these two girls. We all went up together, three of us. And I brought back Fist of Fury, Bruce Lee. Right. And got an unmerciful hiding from my mother when the girls had gone home. I'm properly leathered now. Leathered. Belt across the back of the legs. You bastard. What did I tell you? There we were, the three of us, watching Fist of Fury, which, which back then was a pretty violent kung fu film. With the great, the late, great Bruce Lee, yeah. Innocence. Nobody was telling us what to think or what to do. Nobody was saying, it's wrong and it's damaging and it's somehow sexist or misogynistic if you ask a girl to go with you. That was the question. When I think back, not will you be my girlfriend, not will you be my partner, will you go with me? I swear to God, I was in class with a guy called Merlin. That was his name, Merlin. Lovely lad. And we had a Vietnamese refugee family in Ballybeg. And there was a girl called Young Lin. Young Lynn or Young Lim was her name. And she was a gorgeous, pretty little thing. And Merlin, I'll never forget it. Again, I was eight years of age. Merlin walked up to her and he says, Will you go with me? And the Vietnamese girl said, Where? Vaudeville. I mean, today. Could you imagine it today? That wouldn't happen today. It wouldn't be allowed today. Somebody would intervene today. There would be an intervention the boy would be labelled as subversive somehow. Not subversive. 
as some sort of fucking deviant because he asked the girl to go with him. By the way, 99 times out of 100, when I asked the girl to go with me, I was flatly refused. But God loves a trier, allegedly. Yeah, the memories. Innocent. We spent so much time in that wonderful primary school, outside when the weather was good. We learned the Irish language, Gaelge. I still uh, have a couple of fuckle. I can still speak a few words of it. I went to Ring one summer, the Gaeltacht region, the Irish school in Ring. I didn't learn too much there because I ran around chasing skirt and failing again. I was a bit older then. But we learned how to read and write in Irish, how to read and write in English. We learned mathematics, little bit of geography, which was basically, can you identify countries on the blank map, right? And that was it in primary school. Most of the time we were outdoors. And Ireland has got one of the most respected education systems in the world, or at least it did. Loads of time for play. Loads of time for arts and craft and being expressive. People, teachers that were interested in trying to see what, what, what unique skills do you have? If we can discover them, we'll nurture them. That's how it was. I'm not joking. When I... When I think of it now, I think I was incredibly lucky to go to primary school at that time in that borough of Waterford when you could ask a girl to go with you and you'd end up on a sofa being supervised by your parents watching Fist of Fury while she's grinding her teeth thinking, I'm going to kick the fucking shit out of him when those two girls are gone home. That's it for today's programme. Thanks for bearing with me. And uh, the old voice did hold up uh, till the end of the show. I'm pretty sure we've got guests tomorrow, Wednesday, Thursday. It's a busy old week, I think, on the Richie Allen Show. Please do keep in touch with my website, richieallen.co.uk. I put some new stuff on there that I grabbed from um, the, the, the broadsheets, particularly the broadsheets that, that have paywalls. So... You know, I grab some stories, I rewrite them. I credit them because that's what you do. But I put some opinion pieces on there as well. RichieAllen.co.uk Thanks for all your comments. And for the ones I didn't read out, don't take it personally. I, I get distracted. And I did drone on there for a while, talking monumental bollocks as I am prone to do sometimes. I, I, got, I got to seven. I can't believe it. I'm proud of myself. Stop sending yourself flowers, but no, I'm not doing that. No, no, I'm glad. I didn't think I would make it till 7 o'clock today, but I did. I did. I'm a professional to the end, even if I'm shite. This is Ryan Paris, and this is Dolce Vita, closing out Monday's Richie Allen Show. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Take care of yourselves and one another. And thanks for being there for your BBG. Until tomorrow then. Bye. <laughs>